This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Chris, over the weekend, it was a special holiday, Easter. I went to Zupan's and got some great uh, food, including they are my go-to spot for a charcuterie board. Do you play, do you, are you an artist when you place? When I, you do, I try to replicate the cool things you see in restaurants or even the charcuterie boards that you can buy in Zupan's. Mm-hmm. So we have this awesome piece of slate, and then I try to do it all out, and cheese is over here, and almonds mixed in between, and grapes. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, it's just really good. But I mean, when it comes to to cheeses and and the salamis and all that stuff, you can't go wrong at Zupans. And there's always somebody helpful there that can kind of walk you through if you're try- if you're looking for a certain cheese or a different kind of cheese. There's somebody there that can always guide you in the right direction. And because everybody's interested in what you and I are eating on a particular day, yeah. So I got some delicious artichokes, and I found that a little melted butter mm-hmm. and the Alfredo sauce that they sell there that they make in house. Yeah, the Zupan's Alfredo. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. That sounds good. And a lot of things. You put and that I'll, on just some pasta. I do that on pasta as well. Nice. But this time it was just dipping the artichoke leaves in there and then the hearts, and uh, it was really good. So there's that. We should point out for those of you who might live near uh, the uh, Market of Choice on Twilliger, uh, they've closed down. They and might, you might know that if you, you were might, a you probably, Yeah, you're like, oh, where do I go? Well, Zupans welcome you to their McAdams store. And yeah. if you haven't been into the Zupans, they will welcome you with open arms and the best produce ever. And I think it's a win. It's a good, that's, a, uh, that's a store where I do most of my shopping. Yeah. So, so it's a great thing. They also have at, at the McAdams store and the others, um, they're toasting earth. It's Earth Day right now when we're recording this. Is mm-hmm. that right? So they're toasting Earth with a farm-to-market beer series, and they have an IPA created in collaboration with Double Mountain Brewery, one of my favorites, one of my favorite places to go in Hood River, and they now have a location in Portland with uh, a refillable bottle making the most sustainable choice in the beer aisle. Very nice. Three locations to easily serve you. You've got the one on McAdam, which we've been talking about, West Burnside, and, of course, Lake Grove. And always where, Chris? Zoopants.com. Court, it's time to talk about Portland Knife House. And... For those uh, folks listening at home, if you're an avid Right at the Fork listener, and we suggest you be one, uh, you can go back to episode 161 with Eitan Zias and really expand on this uh, this ad where we're going to talk about their products. Uh, so cool of Portland Knife House to sponsor our International Women's Month special series of podcasts. And uh, everybody should, we think it's especially appropriate because they're a business that caters to both the consumer market and also all our industry folks listening to the podcast. Yeah, right it's now. owned and operated by former chefs. And when it comes to like sharpening, repair, or maybe getting a customized knife, this is the place to go in Portland. And the the other reason that it's a place to go is there's no larger selection no. of of knives in uh, for the kitchen in portland and i don't know and i've been there to check them out as a matter of fact i just bought a beautiful uh bread knife that i couldn't believe i was as nice as it was it's not i'm not worthy but it's absolutely beautiful yep they also offer hands-on sharpening classes so you could take your knife there to be sharpened or they can teach you how to do it yourself that's right. And so the best way to find out about those classes, because they do sell out, mm-hmm. is to go to PortlandKnifeHouse.com. But more importantly, head to their showroom on Southeast Belmont on, what is it on? 2637 Southeast Belmont. So that would be on 26th. Or you can call 503-234-6397. Whatever you do, you tell them you heard it on Right at the Fork. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. We're back. It's right at the Fort Portland's Food Scene Podcast and fresh from Australia, ladies and gentlemen. One of the best trips I've ever taken, Court Johnson. Yeah, the uh, uh, Chris Angeles Portland Food Adventures, and you went international to Australia, and I, I enjoyed following along on Instagram. Can, I was cavorting or frolicking with, well, let's use the word frolicking, with kangaroos not, not a week ago, today. It was pretty cool. Frolicking? We were, Frolicking. Were they small kangaroos? Because those bigger kangaroos, I've seen, uh, I've heard heard tale of. They were nice. I got okay. close. If you check out the uh, Portland Food Adventures Instagram, yeah, you'll see some jumping kangaroos, literally ten feet from me, jumping away from me. They didn't like me that much, I guess. Yeah, but um, man, Australia, Melbourne, what an uh, incredible city! It goes right 
to the top of my list of favorite cities that, mm-hmm. I, that if I had to, I'd not only go to again, but I could live. Relocate Mel- to? Yeah, Melbourne, Amsterdam, Barcelona, Bologna. All right. But, but I, and not in that order. Those are my favorite four. But I loved Melbourne. Uh, Nolan from Proud Mary just gave us an incredible food experience there. Uh, and if you like Proud Mary breakfast, man, you would love Melbourne. And uh, some really cool things. But then he suggested that we go to Tasmania, which nobody in my life has ever said, you need to go to Tasmania. Right. And I would say that, but I think the reason people don't say that is, A, not many people have been to Hobart or Tasmania, Mm -hmm. but it's also a little bit of investment to get there. You not only have to fly the 16-hour flight. It was 16 hours to Melbourne from... LA, yeah. but only 12 hours from Sydney to San Francisco. And so the, the, the world is working with you and like headwinds or something like that. Right. It's headwinds and t- a little time, yeah. but the 16 hour flight felt so much longer than the 12 hour flight coming back. I don't know. It is four hours more, but right. got a lot of good movies in. We should do a movie podcast. There you go. I, I saw some. Sure. And also on the way back, I had someone sitting with me, so I went faster yeah. than when alone. But Tasmania and Hobart, fantastic destination. I don't know whether we're going to do another PFA trip with Nolan to Australia, mm-hmm. but I've asked him, let's do it and let's also include Tasmania in the mix for people because it was it was pretty cool. There so, you go. Something to think about in the future, which is actually something we're going to be thinking about in the future with our guest today. Yes. A possible international it, PFA. It was a rekindling of an old conversation yes. that I had with Gabriel Rosen, now of Giraffe and Nora Neko formerly of Biwa. Mm-hmm. Most people probably would know him from Biwa because right. that was around for many years and a lot of people went. And uh, I ran into Gabe, uh, it was um, a couple of uh, a month ago, and you know, I tend we tend not to schedule the podcast guests too far out because things come up and right. they're good ideas to have them now. So, But sometimes I let that go a little long and it's, oh, I got to get someone for next week. Right. Which... In six years, we've never had a problem, right? Nope. We ever had, we've never had a problem. But so, just as I was thinking about that, I was at the McAdam Zoo Bands, and there's Gabriel Rosen, who I've think, been thinking for a long time. We need to have him on the podcast. Right. So, so, we had a nice discussion. He's here. And he was very easy to talk to on the podcast, and I think he had some really cool things to say about Biwa, because mm-hmm. a lot of people want to know why that closed. And uh, I haven't been to Giraffe, so he had the task of describing giraffe and the concept of it how it came about right what it's so, trying to do and now i know where it is yeah. i didn't know where it was right so uh we'll be going down there to uh grab a bite but also on the subject of a trip to japan mm-hmm. so we know that the other enterprise i'm involved with we do trips with portland chefs and restaurateurs to foreign lands um if you listen to this interview and you think i'd like to go to japan with that guy and that guy the two with, and you should go. Sure, okay. Three of us. Right, okay. <laughs> Throw me into um, the mix. But but especially Gabriel, if you'd like to go and experience some of the pla- some of the ideas and the places that he had mentioned, um, just drop just drop us an email or drop an email to what right at the, uh, right at the fork at gmail.com yep. or chris at portlandfoodadventures.com and say you know that would be of interest to me we'd no. even accept a courier pigeon i think <laughs> yeah yeah send an e- send a uh, an overnight package to say i'd there be interested go. in that then we'd really know they're interested yeah um, but no obligation but we just like to get an idea of whether people were interested before you like we the put idea it you like the idea gabriel likes the idea the question is do we have enough uh, listeners of the podcast and just people thinking i would love to go on a food adventure in japan right and we're That's, talking not hundreds of dollars but no. thousands so it, once, right. once you put a price to it it's some people surely would have interest yeah. but you know it needs to meet their budget but we've been able to find enough people to go on i think we've done seven trips now so yeah um to go on those and they're um just incredible journeys um uh, that's all I can say about that. So look forward to doing that journey, maybe to Japan with Gabriel Rosen. But for now, we have the journey here at Right at the Fork with Dave Rosen. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zoo Pans Markets. 
For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures. Tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astri Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. By Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands, where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. And by Portland Knife House. Dedicated to equipping the professional and home cook alike, offering knife sharpening, repair, sales, and education in Southeast Portland. Owned and operated by former chefs with by far the largest selection of kitchen knives in Portland with a focus on Japanese knives. See them for yourself at their Southeast Belmont showroom and store or at PortlandKnifeHouse.com. How's this? Oh, pretty good. I mean, it's a little... Uh, I don't know. Are we live yet? Oh yeah, we're well. We're not live, but we're we're yeah, we're recording. Yeah. No, I did enough. Everything you say can be will will can will be used against you. I've done enough therapy so I can sit in a room and talk to people about like whatever. So this is pretty good. It feels kind of arbitrary, but I'll, that's just the hardware. Yeah. Well, when I ran into your Zupans, you you admitted that you hadn't yet listened to the podcast. Oh, this I is still the way we can get you to listen to it. Sounds good. It's how we do it one by one. Knock them off. You know, it's you know, it's funny too, because like I don't sleep that great, and I pretty I listen to podcasts in the middle of the night to put myself to sleep. That's what that's how I fall asleep. Podcasts. Yeah. It's well, not if you want if you want a podcast to fall asleep to, <laughs> this is it. Okay, it'll put you just dead tired. Well, I'm gonna go a step further and courts courts um, unholy matrimony. Actually, that keeps me awake. You guys have a lot of energy in there. A lot of energy and a lot of it's. It's a podcast where I, with my wife, that, where we just kind of oh, argue the entire. Do you time. want a no, podcast? No, I'm, I'm thoughtful about what I put on. Like I can't listen to like BBC World Service because they're too like this. Yeah. Whereas you know, I, five in the morning if I'm up, NPR, no problem. Sure, they're relaxing. I don't, don't want to listen to. I used to, but I don't want to listen to world news or national news anymore when I go to sleep because it's just bothersome. Yeah, weird so, dreams. Yeah, I don't know about the dreams, but it's just, I don't want to go to sleep on that note. So, and the news hasn't been that pleasant lately. So at any rate, so you're just, you're into podcasts and you just, we, in the uh, reception area, you told me you just started driving not long ago. Not that, I mean, it's been uh, probably four years now. All right. Uh, so, I, but I think it was cool because you said, "I can't believe it, that I didn't drive until four years ago." Oh, it's magic! And, I love it. Yeah. So that you just, I feel like you've missed a lot. But so we look forward in life. So you have a lot to look forward to, and now driving and flying and driving, driving in other countries is a lot of fun. Haven't done that yet. Yeah, I've re- I've had a I've traveled in other countries with my wife driving. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, when I go to Italy, my uh, friend Ostri does all the driving, and I'm really happy because in Sicily, they have no stop signs. So uh, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, that's yeah. just not my thing. I'd rather be in the passenger seat. Yeah, totally. Just not look. Checking podcasts and Facebook accounts and so forth. So, um, but you said that you just recently went out to the coast on Route 6. Yep. And you... It sounds like you just were appreciating the surroundings on the way, and I ask, I say oh, that it was like a because this is what I do commercial. every day. Yeah, it's 
It's real. Which Volkswagen commercial is that one? A few years ago with the the moon rising, that was a really good one. I don't. I couldn't give you a specific one. I don't actually watch that much TV. It's what I imagine a Volkswagen commercial would be like. Though. Oh, that's good. You're like, and you're driving. You know, like the once the you get into the coast range and the I don't know the trees and the road starts to curve that kind of thing. Volkswagen would really appreciate you saying that, especially if you don't watch a lot of TV. So their branding has been successful in getting to you because, you know, they had that campaign a few years ago, Drivers Wanted. Yeah, and it was sure. all about not just getting from point A to point B, but it was enjoying the action of driving. Mm. So No, this was cool, like driving the transit, the jalopy, which even if you're going 40 miles an hour, it feels like you're going 60. Uh, getting in this, like, really quiet, newer car and, um, oh, yeah, it was cool. It's, yeah. It's like... And especially this time of year when you can start opening up the windows and breathing the fresh air. It's great. So um, that's been going on in the last few years. But before that, man, you had one of the hallmark restaurants in Portland, Biwa, right? I I think that was on everybody's list of a place you got to go. It was a neat place. Yeah, it was a really neat place. Yeah. I want to talk. I don't know if you want to lead with that, but... I want to talk a little bit about that restaurant because it's sad that it went away. And I think, I don't know all the reasons you probably may not, may or may not know all the reasons, but you played with it a little bit. You moved and then you moved back. And was that, was that the reason that when you changed space and like, why did we close the restaurant? Yeah. Well, what Ah. was the, what ended up doing it? And I think you need to get up just a little tighter to the mic. It's new territory. Yeah. Um, well, there's driving and then there's being on po- being on podcasts, not just listening to them. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know BYU is a magical thing. You know, I was thinking about it on the way over because I knew that we'd talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Nothing came to mind. No, lots came to mind. <laughs> I mean, I was 30 years old when we opened up the restaurant. I've always worked in food and cooking. I've always been obsessed with restaurants. I pretty randomly, pretty randomly found myself in Japan, knee deep in like real Japanese cuisine and realized, you know, I've wanted to own a restaurant since I was a little kid. And when I went to Japan the first time, I immediately saw like, oh, this is, this is the restaurant that I would want to do. It's uh, just the, the kind of modular aspect of, you know, a Vizakaya where you can, you're just kind of like making little treats for people and it can be whatever they want it to be. It's not, uh, there's a, it'll take me a minute to kind of warm up and really get rolling on what I want to say with this. But like, uh, BYU is a special thing in a lot of ways. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had had a decent amount of experience as a chef. And I have some intrinsic skills, but like, I don't, I didn't know anything about business and a lot of people really helped me out, including. That's one of the nice things about being in this city. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I don't, I know, especially then, I don't know how it is if I was 30 now and coming up here, I don't know if it's different or not. You're close. I'll never get that From experience. From my perspective, you're still close to 30. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so, but you were about to say including, so you were going to name some people who helped you, and I'm sorry I interrupted Oh, no, that. no, no, that's okay, it's okay. No, all kinds of nice folks. Um, oh, but, I mean, the people who helped me out in the early days is amazing. Uh, Bruce and Joe from Bruce Carey Restaurants, and, I don't know, John Gorham's a huge influence and helper-outer for me, there's Did a, you meet him when he was at Simpatica? Is that how you guys? Uh, I worked for John at the oh, at the butcher shop. Beyond, right? But and we, he and I had worked together previously at Fratelli. Is that right? Boy, I remember that. I get to claim I went there. Yeah, he and I had worked that together. That makes me Frat- a little bit of a veteran in Portland. Yeah, so no, I've worked for John in a couple of places. We worked together at Fratelli. We also worked with uh, Paul DeCarli was there too at the time from DeCarli. Uh, he and I went to cooking school together. But... Where were we? No, you were talking about Biwa, but, you know, and you talked about seeing a restaurant in Japan, but I find it interesting that a kid from Des Moines, Iowa, decided he wanted to cook at an early age, and I I highly doubt that you had a vision of an izakaya, you know, experience. The vision vision kind of expanded over time, but, like, I don't know, both of my, my parents split up when I was little, 
Uh, both of them are pretty food obsessed. Both of them, frankly, good cooks and obsessed with restaurants. Um, you know, my dad was a New Yorker. My mom grew up in the, I don't know, suburbs of Chicago, northwestern Illinois. How did um, they meet? Uh, community college. My mom was worked in the copy shop, and my father was a horticulturalist, mm-hmm. and he was uh, I don't know, teaching horticulture in the community college. Uh, uh, in the Midwest or New York area? This was in the Midwest. This okay. was in, uh, yeah, mm, McHenry County College. Wow, that's Crystal, one I've never Crystal heard Crystal Lake, of. Illinois. Cat Court, you have that hat, the McHenry County College hat? I don't. Nope. Left it at Let's home. Put it on the list. Yeah. Oh, uh, is that home country for you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's just sporting a really cool Utah, Pacers. Come uh, on, Utah Jazz hat. Utah Jazz hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I knew it was Utah, yeah. but it just because of the yellows tr- triggered me to think Pacers. And, yeah, yeah. I, and the Pacers, old school. Yeah, sorry. It's a nice Utah Jazz. Thank How you. is Utah doing? Horrible. Okay. If they if they lose tonight, they're up. Back to Gabe. Then yep. we don't want to focus on yep. negative things. Uh, whatever. So yeah, and, and um, so growing up in Des Moines, you didn't have you had to develop the vision. Well, so, I, so my parents split up when I was a little kid. I grew up with a single dad. And he was uh, he as a he was a kind of classic Jewish New Yorker obsessed with Chinese food, and so part of especially when uh, we were little, my dad jumped in head first to being like a single dad. We're gonna cook dinner together at home kind of thing. But we got we got slept around to restaurants kind of a lot, and so. This sounds like my kid's upbringing. That's, they got thrust into this, too. He befriended a series of Chinese restaurant owners mm-hmm. and, you know, in a pretty literal way where we would, you know, see them socially. We get to hang out in the kitchen and the restaurants and stuff. If there was dishes my dad wanted to learn how to make, like we'd be back in the kitchen working with. There was two folks in particular. There was Daria at Dynasty Restaurant. And and bearing in mind, we're going deep into my childhood, and I don't think about this that much. Tommy Chu of Tommy Chu's, and that was the first place that we went to a bunch. Uh, but then when we moved to the suburbs, we got to know Daria, and she lived in our neighborhood, and she was probably the one who taught my dad more about cooking Chinese food than anyone. But my dad also, with his work, was actively involved in the city of Des Moines Sister City program, and particularly their Chinese Sister City program. And he's been to. Des Moines, Chinese sister city, I don't know, 50 times probably in the last 30 years. But I remember when Des Moines took on a Japanese sister city, Kofu, this would have been, well, he went, he went on the first kind of big uh, delegation of bureaucrats from Des Moines. And it was not normal for people to be traveling to China as much then as it is now. Now it's... I remember vividly because it happened over my 10th birthday. So it was 1986. My dad went for a couple of weeks and he stayed for a little bit longer. It was probably, frankly, his first big, like, thing he got to do on his own after my parents got divorced and he realized that, like, oh, shit, I have to raise these kids. And, um, And he came back with stories and stuff and i don't know it's been on my it's been on my mind ever since i I have some montreal stories with my first being single after 20 years the fun stuff happens after you you know now you have different options than you did when you were you were with a spouse i'm sure yeah yeah i mean (laughs) i have a spouse but i don't have kids and stuff and i yeah i'm sure yeah well the kids didn't have as much to do with it as the marriage for 20 years so he was probably you know, it's exciting to get out there as a single person, and people start inviting you to things that they would not normally, that we they may not invite a couple to. Yeah, totally. So that's, I, you know, I went to some places in Montreal that were crazy, yeah. and I'm sure your father in China was having some pretty interesting experiences that made him want to go back. I think so. I think he got out and did a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all kind of in the same vein, I don't know, both of my parents just loved restaurants, and that was... And I think for me, too, like, I don't know how you feel about it, but, like, I was kind of so-so about, like, being a kid, frankly, I think kind of sucked. Oh, no, no, I I was good with a kid. I couldn't wait to be an adult. Like, getting to do adult stuff and, I don't know, just kind of the whole emotional aspect of being a kid, really. I couldn't wait to get 
beyond it. And restaurants were the first real window into like, okay, this is like what adults do. This is adult life. And you and were I've basing always it on loved, TV. That's what you were basing it on the real thing. Well, no, we could take it out a lot. Right. But so you were, you know, nowadays a kid would see. Oh, I see. Top I chef. see. And oh, I want to do that. Now you were basing it on the real thing being oh. taken out and being taken in to kitchens and having watching your father being taught how to cook Chinese food. Way more interesting than talking about my childhood is just the way that like television and images have changed kind of the way people perceive, frankly, what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So what do you think, how do, how do people, you think, perceive what you do for a living? You didn't now? used to be able to get any information. Like, it was fucking impossible. You had to go to the library, uh, and, and cookbooks didn't have good pictures. Mm-hmm. And PBS had a couple of really good shows, the Great Chef series. Graham Care. Did you ever watch Graham Care? No, that was... before your time? No, it's not before my time, but it was home cooking. Mm-hmm. And, it, if, and even... When I kind of started to realize that I was interested in this, like the home cooking shows weren't particularly appealing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Great Chefs, Early Emerald. Yeah. You know, I, particularly though, I kind of remember both the American and European Great Chefs series as being, you know, because when I started working cooking, I get to watch a little bit of daytime TV because of the hours and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest, that was the best window into like what was cutting edge at the time in Hope Cuisine. Right. And so you, how long did it take? So you decided then in Iowa to come to Portland. You went to the Culinary Institute. I went to Culinary School here. And um, I was cooking in Iowa. I went to the University of Iowa like you're supposed to do as an 18 year old. And uh, I wasn't particularly successful initially. And I got, I dumb lucked my way into a job as a dishwasher in the fanciest restaurant in town. And what I'm, was the fa- fanciest restaurant in Des Moines, just so anybody can note it if it's still around? It's Iowa City, and it's the Lynn Street. Oh, Iowa City. It's right. the Lynn Street Cafe, which, man, last time I checked, is either still around or it's maybe about to close. But the guy who owned it up until either now or just recently, Frank, Frank Bowman or Bauman, this has been 25 years, um, he wasn't that much older than me and like, I don't know, we got on really good and he was a enthusiastic young cook and stuff and kind of in a, in a weird sort of way, ended up buying the restaurant while I was there. And, um, uh, yeah, it had ties to the earliest days of uh, slow food movement. I when I came out here, my first job was at pasta works and I remember Peter DeGarmo who was then the owner of Pasta Works. Don Oman was the guy who hired me, but I remember Peter talking to me. He was just like, oh yeah, Iowa City. I know Kurt. I don't remember Kurt's last name, but he was like, was a, again, like an early part of slow food. Um, not that none of this meant anything to me at the time. This is 1997 stuff, but yeah, Lynn Street Cafe. And I loved it at first sight, you know. And how long did you stay there? And then, oh, what, not that long, year was, and a half. What was the impetus to come out to Portland? My parents were good sports about the fact that I dropped out of college, uh, and partially they were better sports about it because I was like, okay, I'm going to drop out of college, but I'm going to do this other thing. And they were supportive of me coming out here to go to cooking school. I came out to go to cooking school and to get out of the Midwest, like we were talking about earlier. I didn't know how to drive. It's freezing in Iowa. It's not a great place to be a pedestrian. <laughs> it was. I kind of came out here on accident. Again, it was a little bit my dad's fault. He would go to a couple of conventions annually. And so uh, there's a convention for, I'm, I'm blanking on what it's called, but it's basically a convention for people who run botanical gardens, which is what my dad did. And he brought me out here with him because uh, I was kind of interested in school, checked it out, liked it. I'd never seen trees or mountains or any of the oh, yeah, any of the stuff Iowa. that makes a magic out here. And so I was sold. What botanical garden did he run? I'm curious. Oh, the Des Moines Botanical Center. Oh, was Des Moines. There. Okay, because I just went to uh, the Mel- the botanical gardens in Melbourne. Oh. And one of the coolest things was they had this monument. 
to the people who ran it since 1870-whatever. And they listed their tenure and their names, and they oh, really, really respected the, the people who ran the botanical gardens. And I, so I, that's oh. why I asked. I just saw that a week ago. No, this place, that my, uh, the Des Moines Botanical Center was, I don't know, it's, it's a fixture of my childhood. It, he was, my dad was the first director. It was built in 1979. It was like a Buckminster Fuller style geodesic dome, mm-hmm. like biosphere. And bearing in mind, there's freezing in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. And this was run tropical, high humidity inside. And my dad was the boss. And he was, and we just got schlepped to work all the time. Do you have a green thumb? No, not particularly. But Kina does. Uh, so we our, our house is full of plants and stuff. But no, I really don't. Frankly, neither does my dad, even though he's effectively a retired horticulturalist by profession. Really, he kind of morphed into a bureaucrat, but we didn't have houseplants at home. Hmm, but no, I don't. But we have a we have a huge garden, and Keena's a farm girl. And, um, I mean, plants are a huge part of I've learned. I know a ton about plants, but I'm not... I'm not good at anything where there's a task and I'm supposed to be the person who gets it done. And things like taking care of plants, it's really just repetitive task maintenance. And that's a huge weakness of mine. That's interesting for a chef and a restaurant owner to say that. I'm not a chef. Um, I'm a restaurant owner. So I know. Well, you've been a chef. I mean. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I have. I have. And definitely part of the reason why I don't. I'm not part of the day-to-day cooking it's operations. Because of what you just mentioned. Is because of what I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Like I have no business being in charge of anything that's supposed to happen the same way over and over again at a certain <laughs> time and a certain way. I'm not. So as part as a business as a successful business owner, you've learned how to identify those people so you don't have to. Oh, we've always had a great team. Mm-hmm. Always, ever since, and I've known this since the very beginning. Uh, I was sorry about that. Um, yeah, I've. I've known this since the beginning and I've always tried to have great folks and yeah, it's cool. So and I, and I have the, and the teams get better and better. Like I have the best people now that we've ever had oh, fantastic. and that's nothing against the people in the past. No, they're, they're just getting better. Let's pause briefly here. Chris, talk about our favorite place to eat in town, Ringside Steakhouse. Where as a matter of fact, I just had the opportunity to go last night for a little Sunday night dinner. Mm. Um, so you went there for Easter. Well, I had I went with my girlfriend to a wonderful Easter lunch at her daughter's. Okay. So, uh, but then I was a little hungry. That was right. So that was an early wh- lunch. Why not cap and off Easter? I was with- sitting at home, and I thought, man, soup, uh, ringside. Some of the uh, the onion soup. I had a Jones for their onion soup. Yeah. Which is awesome, and it smelled so good. It was worth just going there for the smell, even if I couldn't eat it. Yep. Just to smell it, it was great. And um, so I had that and a Caesar salad, which was great, which is nice light meal. No meat at ringside last night. Right. But uh, but I did have the opportunity. Um, I met a server I have never met there before, Angelica. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful woman who I asked her recommendations on the menu because, you know, we've asked Craig, the owner, what he suggests. Right. But now it's good to hear what she liked. Mm-hmm. And so... She, of course, said the bone-in ribeye, which is the first thing that came to mind for her, and that we both love. We've ordered that before. But something I've never had there, the fried shrimp. She said it's just the best fried shrimp. Yeah. Oh, I've had that. In fact, I add that on almost every single time I'm there. Oh. It's so good. I haven't had it yet. So now, but speaking, it's also on the happy hour menu. So um, I love happy hour. You can get the shrimp cocktail for I think it's five seventy five, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful and they're big, and you can also get the fried shrimp for the same same thing. Oh man! At happy hour now, ringside happy hour is after nine o'clock or earlier in the day on Sundays. Yep. Don't forget they've got the three course supper special every single night, and on Mondays prime time prime rib three course prime rib dinner for just thirty five bucks. Thirty five bucks. Last. That's ringside steakhouse oh, we're yeah. talking about. It's, that is not. Yeah. That's not the buffet spot down nope. the street. That's nope. ringside. Prime rib, three courses. So um, that and try the fried shrimp next time you go as well. I'm going to do that. Maybe we'll see each other there. As you should. Set up a reservation. You can do that at ringsidesteakhouse.com. Hey, Chris, we'd like to welcome our great sponsor, Gen Air at Standard TV and Appliance. Yeah, it's awesome. They were with us a couple of years ago, but appropriate now. Both in their, uh, both started in 1947, and just last year, Gen Air launched a beautiful series of new appliances they really upgraded everything they have two lines rise and noir 
for you to check out at Standard TV and Appliance. Tell us a little bit about them, Court. Well, both of these lines connect to Wi-Fi so that you can use them using your Amazon Alexa or maybe you've got a Google-assisted enabled device like a Google Home. Connect and control appliances remotely. Like if you want to set the uh, oven before you get home, you can do that. Get real-time notifications. You can contact Gen Air call center through them. And get this, get a recipe from Yumly through the device. More than one. You yeah. can do a few of them. And not only that, you can attach your dishwasher to Amazon and get get lo- dishwasher detergent delivered w- without even thinking about it. Nothing is worse than running out of dishwasher detergent and not, not realizing it, but your dishwasher or your washing machine are going to know this. Absolutely. So both the Noir and Rise line feature irresistible interiors illuminated by cinematic and chef's lighting, which is really cool. you got to see these. Smooth racks and flat tines, an expanse of dark glass. Really easy way for you to check out these lines. You can Google search Gen Air Rise or Gen Air Noir. That's one way to check these out, but there's an even better way to do it. Let's go down to Standard TV and Appliance. They have four locations, Mm -hmm. one in Beaverton, two in Portland. The showrooms are beautiful, and you'll be able to see them. Uh, not only in the showrooms, but on the on the showroom floor, and uh, also one in Bend for our millions of listeners out that way. Mm-hmm. You're an interesting conversationalist, and I can see this going by without addressing it because I want to talk about giraffe. Oh, yeah, whatever what you're doing now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as we're on your team and that they're great, you when you were at Biwa, you were one of the first restaurateurs to institute the health service charge. Oh yeah, totally. Too much fanfare. One of the only, I think. The well, does anyone else doing it now? Who does? Oh, but I've seen quite a few lately that have Great. the wellness charge on the bottom, and so um, that I mean, was I've, I, I personally with the tipping and that I feel like just raise the prices. Hey, it's complicated. It's super complicated. Um, we realized early on that we had to have insurance. We couldn't afford it. I could raise prices. Or I could do a thing where I kind of brought some attention to it. And that's what we chose to do. And we've gone with it because it works really quite well. You know, I, would I mean, have we also raised off. prices over the years? Yeah, of course. Uh, it The 5%, uh, some good years, it yields a little extra dough. For the most part, it just barely pays for it. Because we offer a free plan to everybody who works for us that works over the state-mandated uh, 16 and a half or 17 and a half. Oh, that's not much. That's good. No, I mean, so, every, you know, everybody on the team gets free insurance and stuff. And you do that, at, is it at Norneco too? You have the, oh, yeah, the sure. tip line, the, the 5% surcharge on there too? Definitely. Yeah, I think the way that we have to cobble together paying for food as consumers is ridiculous. I mean, tips are ridiculous. But I also, <laughs> and I've looked in all different kinds, not so much lately because I think I've made my mind up about it, but like, I don't know. I've looked in all kinds of ways at trying to get rid of tips and this kind of thing, and it's just not feasible. Tips are fundamentally a very clever tax dodge that we're not going to get out of anytime soon. Well, it's so ingrained in this society, and so many others have tried in Portland some different yeah, yeah, way yeah. of doing it, and they've gone back. Right, to, and, to these, and these are people who are best positioned to do it, folks that are, you know, destination fine dining, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff and like if they can't do it where people don't really notice if your dinner is $155 or $175 like whereas at BWA we would typically run about a $30 check average mm-hmm. you know so if you so can't that 5% was $1.50 it's nothing yeah it's nothing it's frankly it was I mean, don't get me wrong. You can almost slip don't that get in me at wrong. the end. Just no, well, add $1.50 on a line that doesn't say anything. Well, it's kind of what I'm, we do. I'm sort of kidding. But I mean, so in a way, it added up and it really helped us out because we really gave everybody who worked for us free insurance. But conversely, to the consumer, it's really not that much money. Right. And we don't have sales tax here. Right. That's right. And it also gave you some PR, too. A little bit. Oh, I thought it was in the news a lot when you did it, and there. Oh, initially, know, but yeah. that's ten years ago. Well, yeah, but t- it was ten years ago. It was some PR that you got out of it. I remember saying this. I well, thought it was a good PR move. Thanks. No, I don't disagree. We were also the only cool Japanese restaurant for a little while, yeah. but that was also ten years ago. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, I mean, PR and kind of what people are interested in. I don't know. It changes. It's a you know, it's an ever changing landscape. 
Yeah, so you do you do that at Giraffe? I, don't, I haven't been to Giraffe, so you'll have to explain a little bit about what that is. Sure. But before we go on that, your fried chicken at Noroneco is one of my favorite finds in Portland in the last Thanks. five years. Thanks. And I told a lot of people, you got to go there to get that. And again, it's a, what, $7, $8 item for... There's the, not much to it. Yeah, but they're so good. And Thanks. it's so delicious. They're no. thighs, too. So. It, are they thighs? Yeah, no, it's all thighs. Yeah, that's right. Skin on thighs. It's one of the only things that we make that I'll brag about shamelessly because mm. I think it's really good too. Mm. The other stuff, whatever. I mean, we try our best, but like, yeah, I think the fried chicken's delicious. Yeah, and we it's put easy. a lot of work into it. It's that. a quick thing. You pop them in and leave. We traveled all over Japan tasting fried chicken to figure out exactly what we wanted and then reverse engineered it. It was pretty fun. How long did that take to do? Oh, I mean. Five years, but in two-week chunks. Right. Okay. And so did you have that vision for Noroneco years before you actually opened it? Or were, were that, was that fried chicken destined for Biwa before it closed? Well, no, we had the fried chicken at Biwa. Oh, you did? Yeah, we did a different recipe. For, well, okay, let me rephrase that. We sold fried chicken at, at Biwa. And even at Biwa until the end, I think that we did different recipes. Um. Maybe I'm, I'm it, sure maybe I, at some point towards the end we just started serving the Noroneco fried chicken at Biwa. I don't remember. Yeah, here's the thing. <clears throat> I'm sure I would have had it because I went to Biwa. We always had fried chicken, times. and it was always also good. Right, but I don't ever remember things. So that the what my well, there was a lot that, of there's a lot of noise on the Biwa menu. There's a lot of stuff. Right. Well, that's true, but it's still. I think it was great. So before we leave Biwa, uh -huh. you were going to just identify quickly. Why that closed? Because it was a favorite of a lot of people. Oh, it was just time. I mean, fundamentally, it was just so it's money, like a sitcom that had run its time and no, it wasn't funny anymore. No, no, no. It didn't make enough money and I couldn't pay the bills. Yeah. Okay. You know, pretty basic stuff. And what was that due to? Why did it was making money? At oh, one point. I messed around with it too much. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's my personal opinion: is that I fucked around with it and broke it. Oh. But I mean, it, it was on a, you know, it was on a slow decline for a while. And looking back, I probably could have, instead of messing around with Biwa, just closed it. But I don't know. I still had a lot of ideas. I, I could have done it different ways, but that's hindsight and stuff. And, you know, I definitely, one of the things about Biwa that was pretty interesting that, uh, again, looking back, I can kind of see where I made a mistake was, we had, what made that restaurant magic was that there was a couple different kinds of customers and they could happen at the same time. So we could have kids from Lewis and Clark eating ramens or, you know, service industry folk or whatever, you know, cheap meal. When their parents would come to town, they'd take them to Biwa or they'd have their parents take them to Biwa and do like the full experience. Like it was a place where lots of people felt comfortable. It was an amazing kind of date spot, family friendly, somehow or another. And it was, I mean, it's not that it wasn't deliberate, but like we made a place where a lot of different people felt comfortable and they could be sitting right next to each other having totally different experiences, but in the same room. And that was really, I think, what made the place hum. Um, and, and there was a, there was a certain cool vibe to it. So when yeah, you, when I took yeah. someone there and you were going downstairs, you know, yeah, it's like, no, oh, it was a beautiful room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, um, but just the fact that it was downstairs, it kind of I the think basement so level. I think so too. It was a cool space. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, well, actually I know Tommy Cluse pretty well. And I'll go to Scotch Lodge. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm excited to go there because might, you know, it might be mixed feelings, but like, yeah, it's a cool space. The thing that we, the problem that I always had was the kitchen wasn't ever big enough. And so we'd have, you know, a lot of people would come in for populist meals, but we were also constantly trying to push uh, more and more. I don't know, we were just always trying to push more and more, and there just wasn't enough kitchen for it. And so that's kind of why I thought, well, I'll just split it into two pieces. We'll do one room that's populist and another room that's, um, more refined for lack of a better explanation and and, and no one liked that I th as far as i can tell yeah focus groups in the future 
Oh. <laughs> so, um, you don't have that problem at Norineco. No, no, I don't mess around with Norineco too much. Norineco's fun. Everyone likes it, as far right. as I can tell. And it's a it's a really great location, right at the uh, the other side of the Hawthorne Bridge. When you right when you get off, it's beautiful. I have an uncle who's a painter, who I remember when he came, he's just like, "Oh, Gabriel, I get it." He's like, you know, painters they paint they paint bridges, rivers. There's a reason for that and stuff and like i don't know it's it's magical being underneath the hawthorne bridge a block mm-hmm. off the river yeah it's an iconic spot it's cool to be. and so talk a little bit about giraffe is yeah what what is that like and uh where, where was that sprouted where was the idea for that sprouted oh uh, let's see if we can get this out i've told the bewa story a million times so uh giraffes are newest um it's the newest thing it's I have a partner, Kana, who Kana Hinohara Hansen, who ran Biwa with me for the first five years and really like it's it's as much Kana's fault that Biwa was the place that it was as my fault. You know, there's other actors too, like made it a great restaurant, but like Kana's shadow is long for Biwa and why it was a cool place. And so one of the things after we closed Biwa I love restaurants and I'm fascinated by them, but I'm also increasingly like actually being in a restaurant during operations is increasingly hard for me, whether it's just that it's late, it's loud. There's a kind of level of stress and personal energy, et cetera, that like I just find harder and harder. And, but I, I know a lot about food and I'm really interested in it. I'm interested in trying to figure out how to get, how to get like, high quality interesting food to people how to work with the ideas that i have about food and so one of the things i've always i love japan uh the kind of like street level day-to-day life of what it is to be just like a regular person in japan is a pretty different experience from here like whether it's transportation People live in little tiny spaces, and so there's a lot of kind of outdoor life. Not like we think of outdoor life, like here, like the gorge, but just like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the gorge and Tokyo, I think, are pretty different things. They're pretty different things. <laughs> and, but I mean, but to take a step back, specific to food, though, there's high quality populist food everywhere that you look. And so high quality could mean junk food, high quality could mean healthy food, whatever. But just like uh, easy to consume food is available everywhere. And again, it's spectacular. And so like, I mean, inspiration points for me with this are really probably my favorite thing in the whole world as regards food is the like the food basement of a really good Japanese grocery store. Uh, sorry, supermarket. No, uh, department store. Uh, like a Mitsukoshi or a Maruzen, like a fancy one that has a really good food basement. Like the original Mitsukoshi in Ginza has an outrageous food basement, just outrageous. And like it's, this is the you know this is the best grab and go food in the whole world. But conversely, uh, the convenience store chains, Seven Eleven, in my opinion, is the king of them. But there's Lawsons and Sanks and other ones. I mean, they have better food at 7-Eleven than at pretty much any Japanese restaurant in Portland and stuff. And like, I don't know, having this kind of thing available was pretty on my mind. And so to take a step back, I don't know, since closing, my partner Akina is fundamentally an architecture, an architect by trade and is just involved in the restaurant business because she loves me and I kind of put us in a position where she doesn't have a choice. Um, left to her own devices, Kino would do magical things. Uh, but I would say, I would, I would argue that she has done some magical things with you. So oh, yeah, but she would do magical the, things exclusive of you, uh, is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, the short version is I really wanted to try having a partner. And so I, Kana was back. Kana and her husband, Eric. Eric was one of our first bar managers. They went to Puerto Rico and they were, and did hospitality work. 
and they were back in the States during the hurricane. I think it's Maria, but someone would have to check that. And realized that there was no reason for them to go back because all of their work was in hospitality and they wouldn't have jobs and stuff. And I just always liked working with Kana and we've, we, I don't know, we have good rapport and I think probably, uh, you could ask Kana about this, but similar ideas about what we want out of work and what we want out of the quality of the work that we do. And so, I don't know, I approached Kana about doing this kind of low stakes Japanese convenience store project with me, Giraffe. Um, I'm, I'm not selling it that well, am I? Oh, no. Well, we really don't know what we're getting to what it really feels like and looks like. Oh, it's magical. So it's inside the store cargo, which if you don't know it, is a like 25 year old, uh, like home interiors, import, magical wonderland of just like, it's just stuff. It's you can buy. uh, I, I could talk about cargo for an hour and a half. You can buy things for a nickel. Uh, they also have giant pieces of furniture. Patty and Bridget are out there in the world bringing back spectacular things to Portland. Mostly and people, from, from Africa, a lot from Africa, from uh, my memory of cargo. My memory, uh, currently I would say it's, it's mostly, you know, frankly, post-Trump, it's mostly India. It had been more China and Japan and stuff. Okay. But there's, um, you, whatever, import stuff. Um, but they bring over a couple of containers a year of just like wild shit. Yeah, it's exotic. It's exotic. And it's from big to small, and people love it. And people loved it forever. So it's like it's a multi-generational experience. People come in with like, um, you know, child mom and grandma, and the look on people's face when they walk in the door at Cargo is it's, it's unbelievable. I could watch people walk into Cargo all day long. And so they... And they moved into their space on uh, Yamhill and Second around the same time that we moved into Noraneko at Water and Hawthorne. And we we had done a lot of work together to promote the neighborhood. Water Avenue is an amazing location, but it's a little bit off the beaten path, except that it's goddamn in the middle of the city. And so when they realized that they had a lot of square footage and wanted to do something different with it, and part of that was adding in some other vendors. Oh, they wanted to have food, and they asked us to do it, and there was no way I wasn't going to because it's a cool place, and they're cool operators, and I've been wanting to own a Japanese convenience store forever. And you, so I asked Kana to help me do with Do you that. remember the day they asked you to do that and how you felt when you went home that day and, and had the opportunity to think about it? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Um yeah, it was cool because we do like I, I'm fundamentally entrepreneurial by nature well did and you so have a we, fist pump moment I mean I've had those in my life yeah this one's and some of those haven't worked out well, by the way yeah no 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 it's kind of what I was getting to is like we spitball all kinds of things that seem like really quite good <laughs> ideas and I'll even develop them down the road a little bit we'll do a little bit of business planning we'll meet with real estate people and stuff you know some things work and some things don't and that definitely seemed immediately like something where it was just like, it would be crazy to not do this. Mm-hmm. Stakes aren't that high, and it's going to be cool. So, and so how long ago was that? Well, we opened a uh, day after Thanksgiving of 2018. So, oh. you know, four or five months it's ago. It's pretty recent. I no, no, I it's fresh. If you would have told me it was a year, I would because all time is like that. Yeah, of course, of course. It goes faster. Oh, similar to, yeah, it's, no, it's pretty fresh. But, you know, we've been in process since eh, summer of 18, mm-hmm. something like that. Right. You know, Khan and I had to figure out, like, wow, do we actually want to do this? And if we do, how's it going to work and stuff? And we're and so just. So you have a couple of partners. You've got Kana and then you've got the folks that, yeah, a little bit of uh, some relationship with the folks at Cargo. Well, too. we just lease space from them. Oh, that's it. So yeah. they, and they don't have any other, sa- they're just enjoying the food at this stage. Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, you know, we're definitely, we're sharing a space and there's other vendors in there. There's a, uh, there's, there's Tazi, the jeweler and bloke, the florist and it's, and, uh, hello, good morning. The importer of Japanese children's things. Like it's pretty cool. Oh. Like, it's a, it's a neat community. And I mean, like we could be doing giraffe in its own kind of standalone little tiny space. And we'd just be standing around 
kind of like bored with their thumb up their ass all day because mm-hmm. no one would come in. But like getting to do it inside cargo, like it's, I don't know, it's vibrant. It's also, frankly, a lot like, it's kind of a lot how retail in Japan can be. Mm-hmm. You know, tall buildings, malls, floors, amb- ambiguity. Also a little bit like the airport, you know, when you, yeah, you have an yeah, opportunity totally. to be where a lot of people are. Yeah, totally. So uh, it's an airport. So um, same kind of. Is it a similar man, menu to Norneko and Biwa? Oh, you, no, 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 totally different. Totally different, okay. Yeah, no, it's Japanese grab-and-go. It's really modeled. At, it is a Japanese convenience store with high-quality pantry grocery products. So we sell sake and anything that you would need as a pantry product for cooking Japanese food from high-quality vinegars and soy sauces to rice. So I can't grab something for lunch? No, 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 you can, you can. We're getting there. Okay. Uh, we have a hot case with a... Curry pan, so like the curry-filled donuts and fried chicken. We have the fried chicken. Uh, we make it in Oroneco. And then we have a whole uh, grab-and-go cold case of bentos. The thing that we, I mean, at least if you ask Instagram, that we get the most attention for is we make the Japanese convenience store egg salad sandwich. Uh, neither Connor I eat egg salad, so it's kind of an inside joke. But uh, people love them. You wouldn't eat it or you just don't like it? Oh, I don't like it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I would. Uh, we everything we do is top quality. Um, yeah. So we have a whole grab and go case of snack foods and oh. stuff. And that's not. Oh, far, yeah. That's not far from here. I'm always. You know, my thing after the podcast is where can I go get something quick and oh, easy? Oh, swing and by and park. That's always a key issue. No, it's okay. Cargo and by extension, giraffe has parking in the back. Mm. Uh, so it's on the. There you go. Yeah, right off of water. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And so... We're um, doing... Uh, we also are the only East Side vendor of pastries from Oyatsupan, the outrageous Beaverton Japanese bakery. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only place... So, to avoid driving to Beaverton... Yep. You've got it all. You've done the work for everyone. We've done the work for everyone. That's awesome. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, when I first met you... We, it was the first year of my doing Portland Food Adventures, and you were one of, of the... Of Noraneko. Yeah. No, no. It was Biwa. It was Jen Lewis who recommended Biwa oh, okay. as part of that our Portland Food Adventures gift package when people come to dinner. I know, and I still think we should do one, unless you have someone else. What, a dinner? Oh, no, 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 no. Just slept to Japan. Oh, well, that too. Um Oh, no, dinner, that's dinner's different. Easy. That's different than yeah. Dinner, oh dinner's yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. no, no, no I remember. Back. I remember when we did the dinner at um, Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln. Of course. So I'm that sorry. Was, that was way back. That was event yeah, yeah, number totally. four. Oh, okay. Up now we're at seventy eight or seventy nine this week, moly. this coming weekend. So I appreciated that. And in those days, we hadn't. I guess I was. I, it was different. So you came in and spoke to the group and tried as best you could to speak over. 80 Nike customers that Jen sold our spot, our space to. Okay. I can say this now because she's not here. Oh, yeah, sure, But she sure, pissed sure. me off because we had a certain spot for Portland Food Adventures. I show up ah. that night and she said, oh, Nike bought a party here, so you're going to be over here instead. Oh. And no one could hear anybody. But you did a wonderful job. I don't remember what you said, but you did a wonderful job talking about your restaurant and your experiences in Japan. I can do stuff our, like that. Yeah, no, you were good. So it, <laughs> it's surprising to me that it's now taken all this time to have you on the podcast, but we we need to thank Zupans for that. Oh, right? yeah, so yeah, yeah. You and I ran into each other at Zupans a couple of weeks ago. Totally. That was fun. And I was glad to see you. I didn't, I didn't you know, I like to know that the restaurant industry likes Zupans because... You know, new seasons tends to get all the attention. And yeah, I, I, it's it's a. I think it's a snobby Portland thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I shop in new seasons all the time, uh, probably more than Zupans. But I love Zupans. Yeah, they have some. I think they have some really high quality thing, and I Big agree. Time. It's a sno- It's a snobby thing. People think new seasons is well. The it's a West local. Side thing. Yeah, but it's a local right thing to do. But Zupans is actually more local than new seasons. So anyway, it was good. Those are the serendipitous things that happened because I was actually that day thinking, man, I need a guest. It was for a couple of weeks ago, but we ended up having something else happen. And there you were just standing there and uh, it took years to, we had mentioned it, but yes, to get back to it, I'd 
love to do a trip to Japan, and it's we started talking about it ooh, four, three it's or four years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of dropped it because Europe was a, just in the just right there, and it was a good way to start doing this to learn how to do it. You know, part of what's been cool about giraffe and is one of the things that really got Kana and I excited about it. I would say is just in the last couple of years, we've had more and more friends who are who maybe are the kind of folks who would have gone to Europe to take a vacation are going to Japan because it's easy and the tickets aren't that expensive and it's an easy place to travel. And just seeing like a broader and broader array of like friends and acquaintances traveling in Japan and seeing kind of what they come back with and what they're excited about. I mean, Cause like my start in Japanese food, like when I went over, I had an idea about what it was going to be. And everything that I thought it was going to be was true. There was just all this other shit that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And that was really the seed for everything that's come since. And so getting to see that in friends and acquaintances and stuff, it's been really cool. I've noticed more and more people going. And when I went to see Anthony Bourdain here live a few years ago, Uh and the question was posed to him if he could only be one more place in his life to live and eat, where mm-hmm. would it be? And he cited Japan. Oh, I'd live in Japan in a minute. Right. I have questions about working in Japan, but I would live there in a minute. Right. So, well, uh, that's a little part of the equation. But I'm curious about it, and it's kind of, I feel like it's a, you know, you're, we, were t- we started this out by talking about driving. I feel like it's a shame I haven't been anywhere in Asia. I just added Australia, that mm-hmm. continent, to the mix. But I... I'd love to go, and I'd like oh, to do it. And go- so I'll invite, and when we do the intro to this, I was thinking while we were talking, I'll invite people to just write us and say, yes, that would be of interest to us if you did it. So it's a little right? bit of a focus group yeah, before, totally. we, before we put it out there and plan it all, because it's a lot of planning and time. Well, so. and, and go to, it's easy. Like there's the, With the direct flight, it's pretty painless. It's frankly kind of cheap. Uh, Airbnb is strong in in Japan. Yeah, stuff. well, that I don't like, want to. That, but we really need to do it through a hotel. Well, no, no, I just mean for yourself. Yeah, for myself. Oh, I'll do that. But yeah, I'd go. like to, I'd like to go. Yes, maybe I should go on a reconnaissance trip beforehand or a little research. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. People don't need to hear the. Although I like people just just listening in on our conversation. I think that's part of this podcast. It's they should be able to do that. So. Um, but I was starting to get to, um, you know, you're very, I think, respected in the city and well-loved by a lot of people. What are some of your favorite places? Because you like restaurants. So oh, let's favorite places you, to go? What's yeah, been on so my mind? Yeah, what's been on oh, your mind? Oh, jeez. It's funny because I have places, but I never remember them. Oh, I should have I should have. Um, so don't no, 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 a heads up. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'll work on it. Um I live kind of over by Lewis and Clark, and we go. Oh well, then you're in a disadva- at a disadvantage. Over we're there. in a disadvantage, I guess. But okay, so the honest truth is kind of like we talked about earlier. You know, I'm I don't want to say I'm burned out on restaurants, but like increasingly, one of the things I've found in the last couple of years is like cooking dinner at home and eating it with my wife in my house totally enjoyable. That said, if we're gonna go out, we go to Geno's. I love Geno's. Oh, great uh, one. I haven't thought of that in a long time. And similarly, because again, Selwood's the closest place to our house that has restaurants. Uh, I like Weiwei a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Taiwanese place, quite good. Isn't that, that's under new management. So it is, but it's, it, it is, but it's the same. Okay. Yeah. Food's the same. It's still really good. Um, similarly, West side, there's a newish Korean place. That I'm assuming you, I don't know how to speak Korean, so I'm going to just fudge my way through the pronunciation, but it's a double K, which they have in Japanese, so I'm assuming it's Kokoki. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Where's uh, that? Uh, Canyon Road, more west than east, more east than west. Okay. So it's not past 217 or anything. Right. It's bright, and they have really loud K-pop, but the food's delicious, and the food out of the kitchen's outstanding. Uh, I got taken not that long ago by our Chinese friend to Taste of Sichuan for the first time. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay, Omens. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Castagna Cafe was our longtime neighborhood restaurant, and I think okay, Omens is only a spectacular improvement on that. 
Oh. And it's you know what? It's got it's got better energy because there are more people there than there were at Cafe Castagna. I think in various years that's probably true. But I yeah no, it's just it's fun. Like pretty much like I don't know when well, we we go out to have a good time and well that's a good stuff. list. And you know you know a lot of people so yeah um you can, you can go lots of places. Um, we've just about hit the. Uh, Cool. Hit the hour. Didn't like no. that went fast. No, it's been a pleasure. I always believe that uh, the good interviews feel like they went in fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and this felt like that. It was, it flowed very easily and nicely. Did you get in everything that you would like to say? Oh, I don't. Um, As uh, a business owner, there's there anything that we missed? Oh no, only that. Like I just owe everything to Kina, and if I don't throw that in. I would be absolutely remiss. I think she would know. And you have a kana. You need to start. You need to find a kuna, and uh, or hakuna matata. You need to get all the k's and the n's in. I'm trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Well, it would probably do that if you just left it at kana and kina. It's confusing enough. It always has been. Yeah. It confused me at first, but I think I've got it all down. Yeah. Because yeah. I listen to right at the fork, or or we do it. So, complete pleasure. To have you come in and have a nice conversation with you. Like the longest conversation we've had. You and I? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but when we've, when we've spoken otherwise, it's been about some specific task at yeah, hand. Yeah, so it was nice, yeah, sure, to, sure, sure. nice to just shoot the shit, so it, as it were. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. And let's talk about Japan. Okay, cool. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.